<clears throat> this is working. Can you hear me? Awesome. This is great. Uh, I don't know what Jeremy's problem is. I like Stop and Shop cookies, personally. <laughs> we want to be known as the church of salads, not cookies. I get that, but that's, uh, that's what's on my mind. I, I, and I have this, this Seinfeld episode in my head about the big salad, right? That's what, when I see him up here. Forgive me. I've got to pray again and just kind of cleanse my mind here. This is fun, though. You know what? I am so thankful for a worship team that can on the fly kind of transition and change and lead us in worship so well. Aren't you thankful for that? <clears throat> so awesome. We are a blessed people, even though I can't see people in the wings there. So don't nod off. Yeah, okay. I want to hear you. How's that? that? That helps me. Yeah, there we go. Let me remind you, we're in our fifth week. We're in our fifth week about, uh, in uh, our, um, the topic of serving in the church, and we've covered a lot of territory. I, I want to just kind of highlight a little bit for you in case you missed it, or just to remind you, refresh your memory as we talk today. We have talked about some of the challenges, some of the opportunities, and some of the benefits of serving. That's been our topic. We've talked about how, how subtle how subtly we have adopted a consumer mindset and we've become these consumers that has made church all about us. We don't like it. We don't want that. But the truth is, if we're honest, we realize we've got kind of sucked into this consumer mentality, even in church. And so even though our heart says we genuinely long to see hundreds of people come to know Jesus and get baptized right here in our church this coming year, that's our heart, but we recognize we recognize we're consumers. We want to battle that, combat that. We spoke about letting our holy discontent drive us to action so we can make a difference both in our church and in our community. We also spoke of aligning our thinking so that we have the same mindset as Jesus when Jesus served. We want to have the mind of Christ when we served. That is, we want to, be, we want to know and believe that we are equipped to serve, to do whatever God calls us to do because we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside us. So we already have everything we need. We also wanted to remind ourselves that we're confident. Why? Because we are, we're confident in our identity because we are adopted sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Knowing that, we can be brave and courageous and take risks in serving God. And then beyond all that, we can step out and serve. Why? Because our eternity is secure. Jesus has made sure of it. So we can give ourselves away. We can pour ourselves out knowing that our eternity has been secured by Jesus' death and resurrection. So we can give ourselves away wholeheartedly, leaving nothing in the tank. And then last week, we, we talked about how God purposed our life from before we were born. Before we were born... God laid out the purpose and plan of our life. It's too good to be true, but it's true. So intentional, so intimate was his plan and purpose for each one of us. You know, serving is one of the ways that God makes us more like Jesus. He, it's the way he conforms us to the image of his son. That's how, how Paul puts it. It's one of his tools to grow us and mature us to become more like him. So it's not optional for the Christ follower. That is... To not serve is not an option. All who call Jesus Lord are called to serve. That's what my Bible tells me. The only option we have is where to serve, how to serve. How are we going to make an impact? How are we going to contribute and build God's kingdom? That's our option. 
It's not an option to not serve, it's just where. And we want to help you make that decision today. So today I want to look at the most important thing about serving. It's the heart of a servant. It's what God's most concerned about, and it is the most important aspect of our serving, is, is our heart. We're going to look at developing a servant's heart, and specifically how a servant's heart is different from being just a volunteer. You see, because the servant's heart is different. It is moved by a different motivation. It is driven by a different mindset, and it is, it's expressed through the purposes that God has implanted in us. See, servants are much more than people who volunteer to do stuff. That's a volunteer. Servants have hearts that have been set on fire by God himself. Servants are different. You know, the, the world measures significance by what you do or by who you do it for. Culture says that significance comes from what you do, that certain tasks or positions or roles are assigned significance or importance. See, these tasks, these serving opportunities, they get you prestige and promotion and prominence and are to be sought after. That's what culture tells us. They are deemed to be important and significant, so you should aspire to do them. But there are other tasks and other roles which much less significance assigned to them that get you no recognition, get you no status, earn you no strokes, get you no honor, and these serving opportunities, these tasks are to be avoided. That's what culture says, because society says that significance is measured by what you do. Likewise, the world also tells us that significance is tied to who you do it for. That is, if you serve someone important, then your serving is important. Your serving then is significant if you're serving someone of means or of importance. Well, God's word has a totally different take on significance. See, significance in God's kingdom, especially in the area of serving, is understood this way, that what you do, the role or task you perform, really doesn't matter. Because what you do does not make your serving significant or insignificant. That's what God says. Likewise, who you do it for really doesn't matter. That is, those you serve don't need to be important for your service to be significant. In God's economy, the most important factor, the one that gives significance to all of your serving, has nothing to do with who or what. It's all about why and how you serve. It's your attitude and motivation. It's your servant's heart. That's what's important in God's economy. So I want to pick apart these three factors about developing a heart for serving. What you do, who you do it for, and most importantly, the how and why you do it. It talks about your purpose, your mindset, and your motivation. And what we'll do is we'll identify the, the qualities of a servant's heart, and then we'll match it up against what God says, his view of what makes serving significant. You know what I found? I found that people who have God's heart for serving are really not all that concerned about the task that you ask them to perform. The task is not the important thing. It's not important to them, really. Just the fact that they get to take part in doing something, anything for God, that's what moves their heart. That's what lights them up. That's what gets the fire going. Just having any opportunity to do something for the king. In fact, Here's what separates servants from volunteers. I get a bunch of guys who call me 
uh, to look for something to do, a way to volunteer and serve. And some of the guys say, hey, Dan, what are we doing? What's the task? And they decide if they're going to help serve based on what they, I tell them, right? If I say, oh, we're painting today, it's like, oh, I'm kind of busy. See ya. Boom, right? Or if I say, oh, we're moving a sleep sofa for a single mom. Oh, sorry. You know, can't do it. See ya. Boom. That's what a volunteer does. He makes a decision based on the task. The truth is, perfectly fine. Totally appropriate. That's reasonable. But servants don't respond to needs that way. You know what a servant does? A servant says, yes, I'm in. What's the task? They say, yes, what are we doing? The yes is up front. Before they know what the task is, they say, yes, I'm available. What are we up to? How's God going to use us? What's the task today? The yes comes on the front end. That's how a servant responds. See, a servant says the task is immaterial. It doesn't matter what it is. They just see it as an opportunity to be Jesus' hands and feet, to meet someone's need, to, to build up the church body or help expand the kingdom. So a servant says, I'm in. So what are we doing? You know, what happens is servants have resolved to say yes on the front end because they have, they have previously determined that there's no task that's beneath them. See, they've, they've concluded that there is no task that they will not do. One of my buddies whose servant heart I totally admire and who would kill me if I called him out and identified him, so I won't do it, but he's sitting over here. Uh, he says it this way. He says, in fact, I'm going to quote him. He says this. If we have a Savior who thought nothing, nothing of washing the dirty feet of his followers and this right before he went to the cross on my behalf, how could I possibly think that there's any task beneath me? And my friend continues and says, and besides, I'm trying to become like him. See, I'm trying to be like Jesus, so why would I do any less? See, that's how a servant thinks. That's no volunteer. That's a servant's heart. You can do your own little test, really. The best test to determine if someone is, has a servant's heart or is merely a volunteer, just ask them to join you in some mundane task. Some task that brings them no strokes, no recognition, no attention, where no one notices how important or how wonderful they are. Stuff like vacuuming carpets and taking out the garbage and cleaning bathrooms. You get the idea. It separates the volunteer from the servant. In fact, Jesus recognized that his disciples needed a little bit of a heart test or heart check, and so he gave them a lesson after arriving from a journey on the road. In fact, I want you to pick it up with me in Mark chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, I want you to open to Mark chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 34. Let me set up the action for you. The disciples have been arguing about who was the greatest, comparing and competing with one another over who is most important, who is most significant of their little band of 12. And so Jesus decides to question them. Starting in verse 34, I'll read. So they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last, the servant of all. He then took a little child and had him stand among them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name 
welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus was saying, give yourselves to those who can bring you no status, no strokes, no recognition. Just serve people. Just love people. Serve people who cannot pay you back. That's what Jesus was saying. He said, if you learn to serve people out of the limelight, without promotion, without the need for recognition or attention, but serve them with energy and joy and compassion, you'll begin to understand importance and greatness in the kingdom, significance in the kingdom. The 12 disciples, they, have, they may have made the same misunderstanding that many of us still have, that the most significant people are those who are up front, most visible, most prominent, like the speaker or like the musicians or like the worship team. Hear me. Do not confuse prominence with significance. I'll say it again so you can write it down. Do not confuse prominence with significance. Prominence is about being seen, about being visible. Significance is about having impact. And the truth of the matter is, often the person who has the greatest impact is not the one who has the, great, the biggest audience, but the one who gets, lets God use them powerfully away from the spotlight. That's how God rolls. He loves to use those people. The Bible goes to great lengths, actually, to hammer home that God recognizes behind the scenes, under the radar, serving as significant, even when no one else recognizes it. In fact, Scripture tells us that no act of service, no act of sacrifice is lost on God. It doesn't escape God's notice, and he does not, doesn't miss a thing. And he regards all service that's done in his name as significant. Jesus himself reminds his disciples that even the most ordinary of tasks, when done with the love and compassion he provides, is worthy of reward. It may not be prominent, but it is significant. That's what Jesus says. In fact, he says it this way in Matthew 10, 42. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little children because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Jesus says the task is immaterial. It does not have to be heroic. It's all about the heart of the servant behind the task. Jesus says that simple tasks done with love are significant in, in the kingdom accounting. So not only do servants say, yes, I'm available on the front end, Servants also proactively look for ways to serve. They don't wait to be asked. They initiate ways they can serve others. Because when they see a need, here's what they reason. Who better than me? Who better than me? I've got everything I need. Who better than me to meet the need, to fix it? A servant recognizes, he sees the need, and he says, I can fix that. I can be of assistance. I can do something, I can help. Who better than me to step up and serve and try to resolve or help or fix what needs to be, what needs some attention? There's no arrogance here. It's just an openness to be used by God when God puts a need or an opportunity in front of you. There's no passing the buck. There's no expecting someone else will do it or it's not my job. That does, that's so foreign to a servant's thinking. Servants are convinced that availability trumps ability when, when looking to serve God. Availability trumps ability every time. That's how a servant thinks. Here's a servant. See the need, step up, and meet it. Overflowing trash can, 
bring it out. Filthy bathroom, pick it up, wipe it down. Someone lost in the welcome center, go over, give them direction, give them what they need. See the need, step up and serve, whatever it takes. That's how a servant thinks. That's a servant's heart. This mindset of, of availability to God is most readily seen and tested when our schedule, our pre-planned agenda for the day, gets interrupted. Servants have given God permission to interrupt their busy schedule. And they put then their agenda on hold in order to serve others. Servants make themselves available to listen to, talk with, pray for, and serve others. Any tangible way that God can use them on the fly, no pre-planning necessary. That's how a servant thinks. In fact, like Jesus, who is consistently interrupted as he ministered from town to town, much of our serving opportunities to show the love of God to people who need it come at unexpected times. I know I've done this for a long time. I'm no hero, but I remember making myself available to God, and I said, God, I'm going to take the road from my driveway to my office, from my house to this church, and if there's someone broken down, I'm your man. If there's someone who needs a ride, I'm their lift. If there's someone who, who needs some information, some assistance, I'm your hands and feet. I've decided to just take this plot, this, this stretch from my home, my driveway, to this driveway and say, I'm your man, God, if there's any need along my route. People do it all the time. You see those signs stuck right in, the, in like a garden or something like that. That's, I put mine out there on Route 59. Boom. I'm God's man from the route from my house to the church. Some of you should do the same thing. You should make yourself available to God and say, God, I want you to use me. If there's a need along the route, I'm your man. I'm your person. I'm your hands and feet. Call on me. I make myself available to you. I don't prescribe that for everybody. I don't want my wife or my daughter taking on that responsibility. They can find their own way to make themselves available to God. But some of you need to take your route from your house to the church. Hopefully you don't live in Naugatuck, right? Like my buddy. But the truth is, that's what you do. You know what happens when you do that? God takes you up on it. He gives you opportunity to serve and be his hands and feet, to show the love of Christ who are distressed. Think about it. I've been there. I've been broken down on the side of the road. I've had no money. I've run out of gas. You know what it's like to have someone come along and assist you, help you, give you a lift, help you fix a tire? Do you know what that means? you know what that does to people? You know what it does to me when I get to be the hands and feet of Jesus and help people in a tangible way with the love of Christ, where God actually took me up on my offer to be available? It changes your heart. It, it drives you. It motivates you. It, it, you won't go back to ignoring needs. You start to say, this is awesome. For God to use you, I mean, it gives your life purpose and significance. It's, it becomes fun. You know what? Makes you late for a few meetings. Costs you a couple of bucks occasionally kind of messes up your agenda, your pre-planned schedule on occasion. It does. But you'll never go back because you'll let God use you in just simple ways where you can serve and show the love of Christ to people who need it. It's awesome. I encourage you to do it. You'll love it. We'll move on. So our culture assigns significance not only to what we do, but who we do it for. That means if you serve someone important, then your service is significant. So even mundane serving roles done for, you know, a professional athlete or an entertainer or a celebrity is deemed important. If you're Justin Bieber's barber, you're important, right? It's significant, right? 
That's how society thinks. You know what happens? Once again, Scripture and God's Word runs totally counter to how we've assigned significance to roles and tasks and serving. Scripture teaches that the most significant serving that we do is when we serve the marginalized, not the idolized. When we serve the powerless, not the power brokers. When we serve the down and out, not the up and coming. When we serve the hungry and hurting, not the satisfied and strong. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 25, love this. Jesus says this, So when you fed the hungry and gave drink to the thirsty, when you invited the stranger in and gave clothes to the needy, when you took care of the sick and visited the prisoner, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Jesus said, you did it for me. When you helped out that person, you actually did it for me. I love what Mother Teresa says. She says, someone asked her, what do you see when you help all these people on the street? What do you see? I I, I don't get it. She says, you know what I see when I help a, a dying person? I see Jesus in distressing disguise. I see Jesus. That's who I'm serving. The Apostle Paul, he assigns significance to all of our serving, making every act of service an act of honor and love for Jesus. He puts it this way in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Paul says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. He says, whatever you do, doesn't matter the task. Paul says, give it your best, everything you've got, like you're working for the Lord, not men. Whatever you do, doesn't matter if you're greeting people, ushering, holding babies, fixing cars, teaching children, delivering meals, vacuuming carpets, whatever it is, do it like you're doing it for Jesus himself. Let's get real personal. Let's get real practical here. So the next time you walk into the restroom, how about leaving it like Jesus is going to be the next one to use it? Serving the cafe like the next cup of coffee is for him. Park cars like you're parking Jesus' ride. In fact, i got to tell you a story. Easter Sunday, Bob, one of our parking attendants, I think it was during this service, he comes in, he's kind of got this smile, kind of half laughing. He's got a set of keys in his hand. And he walks in and he says, you wouldn't believe what just happened. And we said, what is it? And he said, well, this lady was tooling around. It's kind of half, the service is half over. Couldn't find a parking spot. So she wheels up right in front of the mailbox, right in front of the front door, jumps out, hands me the keys and says, hey, thanks, hun. I'll be out right after the service is over, right? <laughs> he says, I think I just birthed the valet parking ministry, Right? <laughs> We said, yes, you're serving like Jesus, man. You're parking cars for Jesus, Bob. What a crack up, right? That's what you get to do when you, when you park cars for Jesus. You get to tool around in their vehicle until the service is over, right? You get, there's some perks to this thing. Simple tasks done with the love of Christ go a long way in touching people's hearts. In fact, that leads us to our primary motivation for serving. It's this. Any task we do for God, you know what God says? God says, any task you do for me, in my name, it's important. It's significant. But the only motivation for serving is love. A love for God, a desire to demonstrate his love and gratitude for what he's already done for us on the cross. Everything we do is a thankful response to his mercy and grace. You know what? It's our simple way. Serving is our simple way to honor him, to bless him to love him, by loving those he died for. That's what our serving amounts to. 
A servant's motivation is love. It's not duty, obligation, guilt, payback, only love. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us if your motivation is anything but love, you're wasting your time. It accounts for nothing. It gains you nothing if your motivation isn't love. Again, I love what Mother Teresa said about how to make a great impact for God. She said this, you don't need to do great things. Just do small things with great love. See, when we love and serve people with the love Jesus provides, it touches their hearts. See, there's a fire that burns in the heart of a servant. And what happens is that fire begins to affect theirs. And people's hearts actually begin to change when you serve them with a great love. They sense it. They know there's something different. There's a, there's a love driving you're serving them. And it lays the groundwork for God to do some real heart transformation. See, some people need to see a sermon before they'll ever listen to a sermon, you know? I'm here to tell you that people will forget what you say. People will forget what you do. But people will never forget how you made them feel. They will forget what you say, they'll forget what you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And the person who's served by you with the love that God provides, you know, small things done with great love, it touches people's hearts. They feel it, they know it. You know what God says? God says that I'll use your service, I'll use your small token acts of love to build my church up and expand my kingdom. There's no more significant serving than those two tests. So church, what do you say? I think it's time for you and I to demonstrate our love for Jesus. I think it's time for you and I to step up and serve. Amen? Why don't you stand and we'll sing.